The League of Legends betting podcast is brought to you by my patrons at patreon.com slash gelati lol. There you can find bonus content like in-depth articles on macro trend analysis and league previews, as well as thoughts on breaking news and the podcast picks before the show is released to platforms. You also get to support your creators more directly. Patreon.com slash gelati lol. That's G-E-L-A-T-I-L-O-L. Just some brief housekeeping real quick. Uh, I'm actually going to try to... I'm going to split the Eastern and Western regions into two podcasts. This will be the Eastern region, so this will be part two and... Or this will be part one, and the Western regions will be part two. So the LEC and the LCS will be part two. Not 100% that that's how it's going to be moving forward, but we're going to try that format for now. Good afternoon, everybody. It is currently Friday at about 2.15 p.m. Eastern on January 26, 2024. Just recapping the LPL and LCK from this morning. We had RNG against BLG. I'm kind of going in backwards order because it's how I took my notes. So I just quickly ran through the VODs over the last two hours and just deal with it. <laughs> um RNG BLG uh, was the only game I had a position on the LPL this morning. The other two were leans. BLG completely blew this game one out, and there wasn't really a chance after the first 10 minutes for RNG. The second game, RNG opted into playing like double 80 carry with like, tr- I think it was Trist Varus, and they had a brand jungle and a rumble top and Milio support. Oh, it was a, uh, it was Trist Aphelios with Milio bottom, is what it was. And, um, Double eighty carry with no tank or frontline is extraordinarily difficult to play. Like, you have zero margin for error. You need to keep everything in front of you. And for the most part, you need to be really ahead so much so that your damage can just, like, kill anything that approaches you. And this kind of setup with Brand, like, I think we're going to see teams try this. And uh, probably not have a lot of success. But the concept is, even if they do have frontline, you have percentage health damage... You're going to have the Rumble ult plus the Brand ultimate to really, really punish. And then you get resets with Tristana. And, you know, hypothetically, you can have like an Aphelios root too and that kind of thing to kind of stave off any kind of engage. You have Milio ult to kind of cleanse things. But uh, it's just so fickle. It's, it's so fragile. Not fickle is the word I'm looking for. But I don't know. And you really need to have, like, it can work if you have three winning lanes and you're just so far ahead that you just snowball and you have levels and it's it doesn't matter. They had winning top lane matchup, winning bot lane, or winning top uh, mid lane matchup, but they didn't have winning bot lane because they were against Senatom Kench. So it was kind of a tough ask. On the plus side for RNG, they lost this game, if I didn't mention that already. Um, on the plus side, I liked the the counter punches they made in this game, and they didn't wait until they were down a ton, which shows me that they have a good sense, like a good macro sense, a good idea of when, like where they are in the game state. And you don't see this with a lot of teams, especially a lot of bad teams and even middle of the table teams. Like they don't understand where they're at in a game, like relative to the other team. So. It's good. It's good to see teams actually like punching before it's it's useless to, and they did that in this game. They made a couple really really decisive Baron calls to kind of just like check Billy Billy, make sure they were paying attention. Um, I would say this is like, this is like the League of Legends equivalent of like going for two when you're down, like going for two when you score a touchdown when you're down fourteen in, in American football, like. 
it's the it's kind of like the League of Legends equivalent of that. Like you're you're adding you're essentially add like you it's really you might be five percent to win a game, but if you make a play that increases your win probability from like five percent to nine percent, you know that's pretty good. But if you make a play that changes your win probability from five percent to twenty five percent, that's even better. And you want to try to make as many of those plus EV decisions as you possibly can. And I like teams that understand the macro. This is this was why I liked that FlyQuest twenty twenty that twenty twenty two FlyQuest team in the LCS is because and I, it's honestly is why I like TSM last year too. Might not have the best players, might not have you know an elite roster or whatever, but they have a really good sense of like where they are in a given game relative to their opponents and what to do about it. So that was good to see from RNG. That's not typically a staple of the LPL, but a positive to take from this 2-0 sweep this morning. Billy Billy look really, really good. Um, they're carrying over their dominance from the Demacia Cup and really from last year, and they look like the best team in the LPL so far. We'll see how that is moving forward, but they look very, very solid right now. Uh, then we had uh, Fun Plus against OMG. Fun Plus looked a lot more like the team I thought they were going to be going into the season and that they're, they might be ahead of schedule. Um Conversely, OMG didn't look that good. Maybe played into this a little bit, a lot of it. I don't know. Um, I leaned OMG in this one because I, I mentioned yesterday the continuity advantage they had. Uh, they're not dealing with a language barrier. They're not dealing with the jungler splitting reps and split practice reps between multiple players. I didn't ultimately play anything, but the you know the short takeaway here is like OMG didn't look great, which I've kind of expected going into the season. Fun Plus looked a lot more like I thought they would, but ahead of schedule. And this is something to monitor moving forward. It was a two-hour for Fun Plus. Uh, just a lean. I wish I ended up playing Fun Plus. I, I kind of wanted to, but didn't. So, um, Next up, we had WE and Anyone's Legend. WE more or less control game one start to finish. No questions there. Game two was like one of these games where it looked like nobody really wanted to win. Um, they were in control, but like... I don't know. A- AL probably should have won this. They weren't up a lot, but like given where they were at, they had like a moderate gold lead, and I think their comp was really strong in the mid game. They just kind of bungled it. Um, we saw Hang play Doctor Mundo. Now Doctor Mundo, I-, I figured we'd at least see a little bit of Mundo uh, in the jungle or top lane because of he has some unique itemization choices he can make that I can take advantage of the current like item reworks. But he's kind of very specific. They ended up taking him here because AL picked an all-physical damage comp on a patch where the magic damage itemization is generally considered a lot better, which is like its own can of worms I'm not going to go into right now. Maybe not a smart decision. Um, so he was just able to stack armor, and he was basically unkillable, which was fun. But yeah, WE looking more like the team I thought they were going to. Hang had kind of that stinker in the first series. They looked all out of sorts, but... That's why I say you don't you don't want to judge too hard based on the first series you see. So, um, po- you know, stock up for WE and Fun Plus, stock down for OMG. Uh, AL, it was just like a weird draft. I don't want to 100% give them a stock down because I thought they looked pretty good in their first series. But, yeah, maybe a minor stock down because that, that was a weird draft. In the LCK, we had the first Telecom War of 2024. Just an immensely entertaining series. It almost it almost always is when these two teams play each other. It's a rivalry that's gone go, been going on for the better part of 20 years now, uh, dating back to StarCraft and everything. Uh, T1, 
T1 absolutely raffle stomped the last two games of this series. Like they were just like over in the first five minutes kind of stomp, right? And really, if you look at the first game, the first game looked like it was going to be just about over in the first five minutes too. But I mean, if, if nobody saw the first game of this series, Zeus put perfect in a dumpster and then lit the dumpster on fire in the first series, literally, because he was playing Rumble into um, Cassante and he killed, he solo killed him three times. He was up three levels. He almost flame horizoned him. And it, like Zeus was so far ahead in this game that he was going to be level 11 for the second dragon of the game. And they took the first dragon on spawn. So yeah, it, this, this game was getting out of hand, but what ultimately ended up happening was Deft actually got some kills in the bot lane on his Callista and Gumiu sees Draven never got a cash in. So, and then eventually, Deft, um, Beryl made just an insane pick on Blast Cone in T1's blue side jungle, setting up for the third dragon, and ended up, they ended up getting the shutdown onto Deft, and Deft was off to the races, and they had no clean solution to it, and T1 actually ended up losing this game because their AD carry was, you know, an item and a half down. So it didn't matter. Like, if your AD carries an item and a half down, that's a lot worse than your top laner being multiple levels down in in this specific instance so yeah unfortunate but um i don't know what this dude's eating for breakfast right now but barrel barrel's like complete or maybe he just found a time machine i don't know barrel's turn back time he looks like 2020 barrel so far this season but I, i'm still skeptical about how long that's gonna last or I, i'm really just still skeptical of this kt team like they've definitely exceeded my expectations i've i've kind of had to be you know, look in the mirror and ask myself, like, is this team actually good? I'm not there yet. I'm not going to pivot off my my mental prior of this team, my mental expectation of this team. I think this could just be a hot start and they'll eventually, you know, come back to earth. But I'm also willing to throw in the towel if I need to. So, I mean, the, the reason I'm holding out on this is, like, their metrics suggest that they're not as good as their results. So I'm still kind of just waiting on this I'm probably going to end up fading them again but just depends on who they're playing I think they look more put together than I thought they were going to be but I still don't think they're a good team so we'll see I don't know I could be wrong um Firex against DRX took a little while but eventually Firex closed out a long 40 plus minute game um, they had a bit of an oopsie throw in the mid game, but it wasn't like they were going to lose the game in this one, but they kind of a little bit sloppy, but this team is just, this team's always been sloppy. I think they're going to continue to be a little bit sloppy just cause they're young and rambunctious. But, um, game two, they were like slightly behind, looked like they clawed it back and were about to turn the corner, but DRX, you know, Teddy's Jinx got a couple kills and the scaling came online. They didn't really have a great way to get to him. One of the reasons they didn't have a great way to get onto Teddy was because they were playing Udyr. I'm not going to go into like a full tirade about Udyr. Uh, you know, maybe I will. We'll see. Game three was kind of close for like 15 minutes, but once Firex turned the corner in this one, they actually closed it out. And notably, DRX had Udyr in this situation. So uh, I guess let me just get this out of the way. Like, people. People really, really hate on win rate, and they just point to win rate and be like, oh my god, this champion's getting picked every game and has like a 40% win rate or whatever. Just because the results aren't coming out a certain way doesn't mean the champion's not serving a purpose, right? Sometimes there is, um, you know, there is signal 
in something like this where maybe you can look at it and only the bad teams are playing Udyr and the good teams aren't playing Udyr and that's all the clue that you need, right? Like, if that's the case, it's pretty easy to be like, oh, well, if the good teams aren't picking it, maybe it's just not good, right? Or maybe they don't have to or maybe they don't feel like they need to, so it's not good. But there's other times where, like, sometimes a meta just shakes out where most teams are opting to put their top laner on an island. Like, I'm trying to think back to, there was a period of time, I want to say it was, like, 2021, where NAR had, like, NAR was getting picked every game and had, like, a really, really low win rate. But he was still by far the best blind pick top lane. Like, it wasn't remotely close just because he has the low, like, if that's the job that a team wants their top lane to do, or if that's how a team wants to draft. If their team is... It's more to do with how a team wants to draft. If they want to draft in a way that they're putting their priorities in order and like they have like a they have like a, a totem pole of what they what they care the most about. Like maybe what a team cares most about is a winning bot lane matchup. Maybe they want the best jungler on a patch. Maybe they want the best mid jungle duo. Very, very few teams want the best top lane matchup they can find. There's a couple. Invictus, um, a lot of like, like KT with Keen last year wanted a lot of good top lane matchups. Um, they they do uh, G two with Broken Blade for large periods last year, especially in the spring and winter. Um, there are teams that do that. They're few and far between though. And what ends up happening is like you have to understand like you're putting your top laner in a disadvantage situation in order to get an advantage on other parts of the map. So that's not necessarily like the results don't necessarily indicate like dictate why teams are doing that so it's it's not always as cut and dry as this this champ has a 40 percent win rate stop picking it but sometimes it is i personally think uh, it was starting to look like teams were coming around to the fact that uter might just not be that good but i guess they still like it as a blind top and I understand the concept of wanting something stable, and Udyr is very stable. Like, it's very difficult for him to get, like, that trashed early in the game unless you're counterpicking it. And there are counterpicks. Like, Darius is exceptionally good against it. Olaf's very good against it. But most teams, especially in the East, aren't going to play Darius and Olaf. So you don't have to worry about it. So if you want something stable, it makes a whole lot of sense to take it. But, you know it doesn't actually do a lot later in the game. And unless you're really, really far ahead, like it doesn't do enough at neutral to make it worth it to me. It doesn't It doesn't do enough different. Like it's it's not overwhelming enough when it's ahead late. Like if even if you're in a winning game state, like it's not that much better than pretty much any other top lane if it's very far ahead. Like if you have a, an Udyr that's like 3-0, and up two or three levels, it's not any different really than like any other top laner that's ahead two or three levels. Like maybe it's better than like Orn or something like that, but like that's it. But Orn is a lot better in like a neutral, like a, any any in, in that like middle of the bell curve game state. Orn's a lot better from behind. Orn is not great, I guess. You know, it, it, Orn has more severe counter picks, I think. Like. Any carry top is just going to trash on Orn most of the time, especially in the Eastern leagues where the players are individually extremely good. But, like, anyway, I'm not going to – this isn't an Udyr podcast, but it looks like – like, I'm not. I'm also not behind the scenes logging scrim data like all these teams are. 
Like maybe it's dominating in scrims or maybe it's super stable in scrims and it's just not working out on stage. I don't know, but whatever. That's a whole separate discussion. We ended up the day more or less zero. We ended up plus 0.159 units um, because T1 couldn't get the sweep home, which was just maddening, but whatever. Um, neutral on the day. Has not been a great start to the season, but again, marathon, not a sprint, so... All right, moving on to the Saturday Eastern Slate, starting with the LPL. We have week one, day six. We have, for our first match, Invictus plus 202 on the money line, plus 1.5 maps at minus 148. Minus 1.5 is at plus 443. Against Ninjas in Pajamas, minus 253 on the money line, minus 1.5 maps at plus 122, plus 1.5 at minus 628. Invictus are running You Should Know Me, Tiansen, Cryan, Xiaoyu Shui, um... Wink, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Anyway, I forget. Um, Ninjas in Pajamas are running Shanji, Aki, Rookie, Fotek, and Shuo. So I played Ninjas in Pajamas here. So I played Ninjas in Pajamas here. I played the minus 1.5 maps of plus 122 for 0.5 units, and I played the money line as part of a money line parlay with top esports. Um, it's NIP money line plus top esports money line at minus 114 for 1.14 units to win one. So um, I also played the kill total over 26.5 kills. It's an alt over at plus 117 for one unit. So the thinking here for me is I know NIP looked a little bit shaky in their first match, but there's a couple things for me. One, that was maybe the one of the worst ro series I've seen from Rookie in his decade-long career now. I doubt we see that back-to-back. -back. The other more important angle here is that Invictus last year really, really struggled with any teams that had a good a good top laner to match You Should Know Me. And he tended to get really, really frustrated in a lot of the games against these teams and kind of tilt off. It, not always, but it looked sometimes like he would tilt off a little bit. Um, Shanji is one of those other elite top laners. There's a bit of a rivalry between these two, so I'm expecting that to get chippy. I'm expecting these teams to kind of maybe play accordingly. The thing is, like, any team that has a competent top laner is just going to be a tough matchup for Invictus because the rest of this lineup is not all that... Like, it's not terrible, but it's not good. They rely so overwhelmingly hard on You Should Know Me to, like, just be a gravitational pull on the game, and teams with another good top laner... You know, whether it's like Shanji or 369 or Ale, like stuff like players like this are gonna present problems to this team. Now, admittedly, those are also just good teams. I think NIP are going to be a good team. They might be a little sloppy right now, but I think eventually this is gonna be like a top six team. Maybe a top uh, eight team in like a war like a bad scenario. I think there's a pretty tight range for this team with a little bit upside. Um I just think, like, the other four players on this team are, like, the other four should just win this game. If Shanji and Yushinomi cancel each other out, I think the I think the, the NIP bottom four end up winning this game. And I know League of Legends isn't a lane-by-lane -lane matchup, but with team, like, there are certain teams that rely on, like, one player. I think, like, BDS in Europe. So, like, these teams that rely on, on one player like that are pretty they're not always easy to deal with. Sometimes they're just weird like BDSs, but Invictus don't do things in a weird way. Like it's like, okay, he's gonna do his thing and he's gonna take over this game and we're gonna kinda just try to be stable in the rest of the map. 
but they never take advantages in the rest of the map. So any team that's good is going to take advantage of the fact that they're just trying to like they're they're playing to not lose in the bottom part instead of playing to win a lot of the time, and they end up. That's I get what why they're doing it because they're just outclassed as players in a lot of these positions. I I just think NIP have better players at every role besides maybe support, which is like a coin flip. So, yeah, I don't. I played that. I also think this could get chippy for the reason I mentioned. So I played the over twenty six and a half kills. Next up we have LGD minus one seventy six on the money line minus one point five maps up plus one seventy three plus one point five is at minus five eleven. Really weird seeing LGD as a favorite. Who could it be? Versus Ultra Prime, plus 144, plus 1.5 maps is at minus 214. The minus 1.5 is at plus 373. So, oh, lineup, sorry. LGD are running Birdle, Meteor, High Chow, Kepler, and Jinjiao, the same one we saw yesterday, uh, the other day. Ultra Prime, same thing. They're running Decade, Hacker, Yuekai, Doggo, and Jway. I played Ultra Prime on the money line here, uh, plus 144 for one unit. The reason... A lot of times when you get... I think both these teams are going to end up like bottom of the table... Maybe one or both of them isn't really dumpster fire tier, but I th- I think this is two of the worst lineups in the league. I think there's a chance this is two of the worst teams in the league. And typically when you get these matchups in the bottom of the table where it's like the two, like all these bottom of the table teams that are all kind of just bad, usually you just kind of want to do, I call this a close your eyes or a hold your nose special, where just take the plus money in these matchups. Um, right now we haven't seen any kind of like particular side dominance in the LPL as of yet. So like last year it would be like, oh, just take whoever has side choice in these kind of games. But especially with bad teams, you can't even rely on that either. I just played the plus money underdog. I, th- I think this is a coin flip match. Um, LGD may be a little bit better. I think LGD's top side's a lot better, so maybe that matters. But top side doesn't matter as much as it has in the past, so... Yeah, I don't know. LGD deserving favorites. I just think this is a big price. This should probably be like minus 130, plus 110 kind of split instead of, you know, this. So give me Ultra Prime plus 144. It's a close your nose special. Or a hold your nose special or close your eyes special, sorry. Next up, we have our feature match for Saturday, which is Top Esports minus 288 on the money line. The minus 1.5 maps at plus 116, plus 1.5 at minus 625 against Edward Gaming plus 227 on the money line. Plus two, uh, 1.5 maps at minus 141, minus 1.5 plus 442. Top are running um, 369, Tian, Cream, Jackie, Love, and Mako, EDG, uh, Ale, JJ, Fisher, Leave, and Vampire, the same lineups we saw from them in their first matches. Um, it really feels a little odd seeing EDG as this big a dog, but you have to remember, like, this is a completely retold, not a completely retold, but it's like, They've made substantial changes to this lineup, and they're starting two Greenhorns, one of which is a real just thrown-into-the-fire Greenhorn in Vampire. So uh, I know I realize the the, the pun there with Vampire and Fire and all, but (laughs) anyway. um, So I already kind of spoiled this. I played Top Esports Moneyline via a parlay with NIP Moneyline. If you want to play those individually, that's totally fine. Um, it's actually probably smarter too, but I'm playing this a little aggressive tomorrow morning. Um, top, I also played the top esports minus 1.5 maps of plus 116 for half a unit, and the map one over 25 and a half kills at uh, minus 101 for 1.01 to win one. Um, Ale had like his crazy super carry jacks game in that last series for EDG, but like other than that, they were not particularly good, and they just straight up lost RNG. 
expected on my end, but probably a surprise to some people. Top ended up losing to BLG, but as we've seen already, BLG look ridiculously good right now, so I'm not going to hold anybody losing to BLG against them. Um, maybe the only thing to be worried about in that loss is that Topper's supposed to be a good team, and they kind of just got blown out in two games, so it could be a little forward-looking or indicative here, but we'll, we'll see with more time. So, like I said, I play Top Esports. Um, if you gave me this line last year with the EDG's roster last year, I would have played it played EDG, but it's not the case. And quite frankly, I think this this matchup boils down to like the bot trios against each other. Again, I hate doing lane by lane comparison, but when there is a drastic, drastic mismatch, you, it's hard not to look at it and consider it. You're taking Jackie Love and Mako. I think Mako is the best support to ever play in the LPL. I think Jackie Love, I, I'm a Jackie Love hater, but Jackie Love is still one of the best AD carries to ever play in the LPL. And he's still good. You're get, you're getting Jackie Love and Mako against Lee. I feel bad. Leave is a good player. Leave is a very good AD carry. But you're getting Jackie Love and Mako against Leave and some dude plucked out of solo queue. Like the guy's playing like his what's this going to be like his seventh professional game. That's a <laughs> that's a it's pretty brutal to go up against that bot lane. So I'm 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 gonna play top esports here and feel pretty good about it. I, I'm this EDG team. I think eventually could get there and be a decent team. The problem is like a lot of the a lot of the even the middle and bottom of the table teams in the LPL almost ever, like a lot of these teams upgraded their bot lanes so that they have really really good bot lanes, and they're just going to be up against until Vampire proves to me that he's like legit good. They're just going to be up against it and. I think EDG, if I had to pick one candidate for, like, completely falls off a cliff, misses playoffs, it would be EDG. It wouldn't be the first time that they've missed playoffs, but this team is, this organization's literally missed playoffs one time in their entire existence since, like, season two. That's insane. So keep that in mind. But, like, I think this team could completely crash and burn. Like I I think Leave, JJ and Ale are good enough players that maybe they like that won't happen and this team ends up like you know 9 or 10 seed for the playoffs or something, but it would not shock me to like see at least in spring it wouldn't shock me to see them struggle enough that they just have enough they they never get it together fast enough and I don't know the way their schedule lines up this team could miss playoffs. So, I don't know. That's a totally different thing, but, um, yeah. Anyway, I played top esports. Next up, we have the LCK Week 2, Day 4. Our feature match in the LCK tomorrow is Gen G against D plus Kia. Gen G are minus 312 on the money line, minus 1.5 maps at plus 114, plus 1.5 is at minus 1127. Against D plus Kia, plus 244 on the money line, plus 1.5 maps at minus 138, minus 1.5 at plus 705. So I think it's pretty clear at this point that Gen G and T1 are like your S tier. I kind of discussed my tier list in the LP, uh, LCK yesterday. So if you want to go back and check that out, I also put it up on the, you know, I mentioned it in the yesterday's Patreon post, just like a super coarse layout. I think eventually D plus are going to be your number three team in the league. I know a lot of right now, a lot of people would put Hamwa there, but again, I have my concerns about Hamwa and beating the good teams. D plus, I think eventually are going to end up being the number three. 
it's just going to be a matter of whether you they join Genji and, and T1 or if they're like half a tier different or like a full tier different. It's more like macro forward looking, but I think like people are looking at that loss to KT as more of an indictment than it probably should be, but maybe it is. I don't know. We'll time will tell on that one, but you know, more looking at this match and less big picture. I, I just think this is too big a number this early. And like if if we weren't seeing good form from Showmaker and a great start to his career for Lucid, then I would maybe have second guesses about this and just like lay the uh, map spread with Gen G. But Showmaker looks like he's kind of turned back time a little bit. He looks great. Um, I'm obviously I'm not basing any of that really on that last match because they're beat up on a bad team and he got to play Cassidy and got away with it, which you're not going to be able to do against Gen G, I promise you. So, yeah, the weird thing with these two teams is they've both played Nongshim and Bro, and they've both kind of just shit-stomped them, so there's, like, not a whole lot to take from two-thirds of their sample set here. I just, I don't know. This is too big a number, I think. Like, even last year, I would have taken D plus Kia at this price, I'm pretty sure. And... Yeah, I don't know. It's just early in the season. Give me so I played I played D plus one point five maps at minus one thirty eight for one unit, D plus money line plus two forty four for a quarter unit, and D plus minus one point five maps plus seven oh four at uh for point one units, a tenth of a unit. Um I also played kill total overs in this one. Map one over twenty three and a half kills plus one twenty one and map two over twenty two and a half kills at plus one thirteen each for one unit. Um the reason for that is generally speaking in the LCK, when the good teams play each other, at least in recent years anyway, when the good teams play each other, it's a lot more scrappy, a lot more aggressive, a lot more action going on early. It doesn't always translate to more kills, but generally speaking, um, the good team matchups have gone over at a much higher clip than the league average. Um, and so, like, so, and it makes sense too, right? Like, they actually contest things. They understand when they have to punch back. They actually apply pressure early. And when I say good teams, I'm talking about the good teams minus Hamwa just because Hamwa play completely differently than the other teams do, and they are not included in this. But, like, when Genji, T1, and D plus Kia, and if you want to look back to, like, last year, uh, KT Rolster, when those teams play each other, it tends to go over. And just erase from your memory the fact that we saw a telecom war this morning telecom war almost always goes over because those teams just it just does there's a rivalry and it's always scrappy it doesn't always go over but it does a lot of the time um just in general over the last like three or four years in the lck when the good teams play each other it, overs are the lean when the bad teams play each other it can go either way it just depends on the metagame and which teams you're dealing with and when you have good team versus bad team matchup you generally want to look under that's the uh the basic premise here so this is a good what I'm presuming to be a good team matchup, so I'm playing the kill total overs for this. Uh, alt overs plus money only uh, if you're going to play both. If you're not going to play both, pick. I would play map one uh, close as close to even money as you can get. The last match in the Eastern Slate is Nongshim, plus 135 on the money line, plus 1.5 maps at minus 230, minus 1.5 at plus 355 for the Noodle Boys. Against the Freaks, Kwangdong Freaks, minus 164 on the money line. Cheaper if you look elsewhere. I'm going to mention that in just a second. Um, these are pinnacle lines, though. Minus 1.5 maps at plus 185, plus 1.5 at minus 481. Um, 
this line is really weird looking to me. Like, if you do just, like, a model right now. like So, like, my model actually made this dead on the number using just this season's data. It was, like, it was quite literally, like, exactly on it. So, um, well, exactly on it, including the VIG. Uh, but to me, this just, like, looks really weird. Kwangdong have had a really difficult schedule. Like, they've had to play Hanwha and T1. Nongshim haven't had an easy schedule either. Now, Nongshim haven't had an easy schedule either, but I think Kwangdong have looked a lot better in those tough games. Like, Kwangdong had winnable games against Hanwha and T1, and then they actually beat KT 2-1 after getting stomped in Game 1, which shows you, like, a good amount of mental resilience. Like, they didn't just tilt off, which is awesome to see. Now, I don't know if it's just, like, this... So, they started Bull. I don't know if it was just the switch over to Bull at 80 carry, but since they've done that, they're a lot more decisive in game. They just look more confident. And for as vocal a player it, he is, it's tough not to just draw that direct, you know, correlation. I mean, time will tell how true that really is. But I don't know. Despite the losses, I think Kwangdong looked pretty firmly like a potential playoff team, like a B tier team. Nongshim do not. I know they got that 2 0 win over DRX. But it took just like a huge throw in game one, the first game of the season, for that to happen. And if they lose game one, then who knows what happens in the rest of that series. And I know in my Patreon post, I actually just read off like the goal differentials at 20 for this team. And like four of them are some of the biggest goal deficits we've seen in any region globally in the four majors this season. And... They're all on this team already in three matches. I know people like Nongshim. They're 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 fun. The, the players have a lot of fun, but they kept the same coaching staff. They mostly kept the same players besides Kalmi, and this team still isn't very good. So, to me, it doesn't matter that these gold these blowouts happened against the elite teams. Like, if you've made any progress, you're probably going to be at least keeping those more competitive. And these are worse than a lot of their performances even last year. So I think there's like a general feels good about this team. But if you actually look at their play and their performance, there's nothing to be excited about at all. So I think Kwangdong are going to be firmly better than the bottom of the table. And that in a couple weeks, we're going to look back on this price and it should have been like minus 250 or minus 300. This is my biggest play of the 2024 season so far. I'm playing Kwangdong Moneyline minus 145 at two units. I did that through BAS and Nitrogen. Um, I'm also playing Kwangdong minus 1.5 maps at plus 192 for a full unit. So double stake, full play, biggest play of 2024 for me. And um, if you wanted to, you could probably throw this into that LPL parlay I mentioned earlier, uh, the Kwangdong Moneyline, but I'm just going to play this straight up. Uh, I just think... Nongshim suck and Kwangdong are going to be pretty good and that they're probably going to be a playoff team and they're trending in the right direction and Nongshim have nothing going for them. I, that's going to be it for the Eastern Slate. I'm actually going to be releasing a separate podcast with the Western Slate probably in a, over the next couple of hours. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review, share, tell your friends, anybody you think would be remotely interested in this kind of thing. I know there's like all 12 of us on the internet that are into this, but you know. Anybody you think would be remotely interested in this, share, spread the love. Until then, I will see you guys on the next show in a couple of hours.